Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their strategies and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. This episode is a little different. It's not actually about a SaaS business. It's about a high school math teacher in England who decided to create an online web development course on Udemy.com. He wanted it to be the best web development course on Udemy. So he put in a lot of time and effort into creating the course. He launched in June 2014 and waited with excitement, but he had just one sale in 24 hours. And it didn't get much better after that. So instead of selling the course, he decided to give it away for free. And then something happened, which literally changed his life. Since then, he's gone on to create a number of web development courses. He has over half a million students on Udemy. And he's generated over $5 million in sales. This is a great story about following your passion setting a high quality bar for whatever you create and having the persistence to keep going when things don't look so good. I hope you enjoy it. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. Today's guest is a former high school math teacher from England who started teaching people to code. He posted his first online web development course for $199 in June 2014 and only made one sale in the first 24 hours. Since then, He's gone on to launch several coding courses with well over 500,000 students and has generated $5 million in revenue. You can find his online courses at udemy.com. The topics range from web and mobile development, Ruby on Rails and Python programming, and database development, just to name a few. He's also the founder and managing director of Eco Web Hosting, a company that is focused on environmentally friendly web hosting and offers packages that are 100% carbon neutral. So today I'd like to welcome Rob Percival. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Omar. Great to be here. Now, I always start by asking my guests what what drives and motivates them. So what gets you out of bed every day? Do you have a favorite quote or, or, you know, in your own words, tell us what sort of gets you to work on your business? 
Sure. Yeah, there's a quote that I came across relatively recently that actually um, encapsulates how I feel about uh, doing business and, and life in general. Um, and that is a quote by Jack Canfield, uh, which is slightly cheesy, but it's everything you want is on the other side of fear. And I, I read that and that really spoke to me. And um, that what I get from that is that if you're not doing something that makes you slightly afraid, you're probably not growing, you're not doing new things, and you're not experimenting as much as you should be. So really what I'm aiming for every day is something that makes me a little bit afraid to either put something online that I'm, I'm not 100% sure of, or build something that I don't 100% know how to build, um, or just do something that I haven't done before. And that, that's what really drives me forward and motivates me and, and gets me through, through the day and through, through life. So I gave the audience an overview of the courses, some of the courses that you uh, offer currently. Tell us a little bit more about what courses you you currently have available online. Sure. As as you mentioned, my my primary course, my first course was a web developer course, and that's still my biggest course, which uh, teaches people with no coding skills whatsoever to uh, to become a web developer. Um, I also have an iOS, iPhone, and iPad app developer course, and an Android app developer course as well. And then I've got a few smaller courses. There's an Apple Watch developer course and a PHP course. And then there are a number of other courses that I actually partner with other instructors on. And um, so you mentioned the, the Ruby course, um, and there, there's a bunch of other ones as well. And they are ones that I've worked on with other instructors. So um, I'm not actually an expert in, in all of the uh, topics that are, that are covered in my courses, quite a few of them, the expertise comes from the co-instructor. What was the reason for partnering with somebody? Um, I, I mean, I guess from what, I'm not going to guess, why didn't you just tell me the reason for, for partnering? Sure. Well, the, the, these courses, one thing you learn quite quickly is that they don't stay very static for very long. So it's not like you can just build a, an iOS developer course or a web developer course and then it's there forever. They need pretty regular updating and that, that can be just from the day-to-day -day tweaking um, images of websites as they as they update. Or in some cases, it can be re-recording the whole course, such as when um, a new version of iOS is released. Quite often that breaks everything that's in the previous course, so effectively a whole new course is required. So I realized reasonably quickly that I wasn't going to have the capacity to keep on producing courses on, on every topic as much as I might like to. So that's why I, I partnered with other people. It, it also enables me to, to kind of scale up what I do. Uh, the courses take a lot of time to put together, a, a lot of effort, and um, maybe sort of a month or two for, for a tip, one of my typical courses. So there was only so many I was going to be able to, to produce and keep up to date by myself. Um, so it made sense to kind of share my expertise and I had quite a few requests from other instructors coming in saying, can I, can I do a course with you? And uh, that seemed like a sort of natural thing to do. So I work with the other instructor to, um, to make the course better, to make sure that the content is what people are going to be interested in, um, and, and make it an excellent course essentially. And then I help publicize it to my students at the end as well. And that seemed a, a, an ideal match, really, to find great instructors and grow the, the number of courses that I have available without having to um, spend a couple of months myself creating the course. Okay, so if somebody is an expert, let's say, on Ruby on Rails, they, yeah. they can come along and partner with you, or, the, or somebody has already done that, they've partnered with you, and they bring the expertise around the specific... Um, the, the technical aspects of programming in Rails and you partner with them and bring your experience in terms of what it takes to build a successful course and then also obviously being able to promote that to your half a million students. Exactly, yes. So we're acting... Uh, more or less like a traditional book publisher, really. We're um, finding someone who's an expert and then training them up, making sure that the, the content is good um, and then helping them with publicity as well once the, the content is out there. And Eco Web Hosting is a business that you've been running for over a decade. Can you, can you tell true. the audience a little bit about that? Why did you get started with that? And, and why is an eco-friendly hosting business important to you? 
Sure. Yeah, it was one of the websites I worked on many, many years ago, about 12, 13 years ago, was a website called Green England. Uh, I've always been uh, very keen on, on helping the planet and, um, you know, living a, a good lifestyle in that way. And Green England was a directory of events, uh, places you could go to, to to get eco-friendly products, lists of products, that kind of thing. Um, it, it, it grew into a reasonably sizable website, but it was never a great success. But, but one of the things I noticed while uh, running Green, Green England was that it was very difficult to get eco-friendly web hosting. And um, either the services that I could find were, were extremely expensive or they didn't offer the, the same features that the big web hosts um, who were generally a lot cheaper offered. So there seemed to me to be an opportunity to provide a an web hosting service which was, was eco-friendly but competitive with the best and biggest web hosts out there. And that's where eco web hosting came from. And, and actually that was my first business that kind of grew organically without me having to do a great deal of marketing. It turned out that was something that a lot of people wanted. And so far it seems still want um, as, as a product. So it's now mixed up with my courses in, in quite a nice way. The web developer course offers a year's free of eco web hosting. So you can learn how to not just build websites, but you can actually get them on, on the internet and get them live for free as part of the web hosting. And then um, some people carry on and continue to use the web hosting. So it actually one funnels into the other that the web hosting is now growing quite quickly because of the courses. It's always been my impression that it's a pain in the butt to run a hosting business. Has that been your experience? <laughs> well, it has its disadvantages. I mean, the, the great thing about the, the web hosting business is recurring revenue. As I'm sure a lot of your listeners will be familiar with, it's great to have a business where people, as long as they stay with you, just, just keep on paying you money um, as, as time goes on. Whereas the, the courses is generally a one-off payment that people buy the course and then they own it for life. So it's actually really nice to have a mixture of the two. Um, but of course, yeah, you need to keep everything live. You need to um, keep support high quality and you need to continually develop and add new features as um, as the industry develops. So, yeah, it's it's not an easy, easy business to stay in, but it does does have its advantages. How, how, how big is the company? I mean, how many employees do you have with the eco we, web hosting? We have um, five employees. The, the two currently are actually part of the same company where we don't separate out the web hosting and the courses where we're planning to quite soon. But right now. There's uh, six of us in total, uh, five employees and myself who are running both the web hosting and the courses. And, and how is your time split? How, how much of your time do you spend on the, the hosting business versus being an instructor and creating and promoting courses? Uh, good question. It's, it's very variable is, is the short answer. Right now, I'm spending quite a lot of time on the web hosting business. I'll, I'll spare you the technicalities, but we're moving to a new server system essentially at the moment. Um, and that means transferring about 30,000 websites from one system wow. to another, which, as you can imagine, brings a fair few problems with it. And um, I'm getting involved in, in quite a lot of that nitty gritty. Um, but then next month, it's likely that Apple will release uh, iOS 11. And that means that probably a new iOS course is going to be needed. So I'm going to be knuckling down and getting that recorded so it's, it's probably 50-50 overall, um, but definitely some months can be very web hosting heavy and some months can be very course heavy. So let's go back to June 2014 and when you posted your first, uh, the web development course mm -hmm. and, and made the one sale in the first 24 hours. I, I want to kind yeah. of go back a little bit before that and just kind of find out from you, why did you decide that you wanted to start creating online courses or creating an online course at that point. Um, you know, I, I mean, we talked about, I mentioned that you were formerly a high school teacher. And so presumably you're someone who likes to teach, but why, yeah. why was the coding, uh, the, the, the sort of the topic that you decided to, to tackle? Sure. Um, yeah, as, as you say, I was a high school math teacher, so I, I taught mathematics uh, for 10 years and that was that was my subject at university so that that was what I knew but reasonably early in my teaching career I started to think that classroom teaching is probably not what I wanted to do for my whole life so I looked for a number of other things and that's where web development came along it was something I could do in my spare time I didn't need to invest any um, any money into it I could just learn the skills through Google and then start building things straight away and that was that was pretty intoxicating so 
Um, I went through various different websites, um, most of which weren't weren't successful. My most um, hilarious failure is uh, a website where people could exchange homes on holidays and they could, you know, swap their homes for a couple of weeks and live in the other person's house. And I, I called that website homex, uh, homesexchange.org, which I was a, a domain name I was quite proud of. But um, soon after I built the website and people started coming to uh, to use it, people started asking for home sex changes, which was which was not something oh, I ex- expected. But then, of course, you look at the domain name and that's, that's what comes across. So that, that business didn't particularly work out. But it did give way to Green England, which then gave way to Eco Web Hosting. Um, and that then built up enough uh, monthly recurring revenue to allow me to leave teaching in, I think it was 2012. Um, and at that point, I then started doing a bunch of different things. So I had the web hosting to run. I was running that completely single-handedly at that point. And I had a, a range of other uh, jobs going on. There were a couple of other website ideas I was working on, a couple of other um, freelance projects, a couple of apps I was building. There was all sorts happening. And one of the things I was doing in, it must have been the the summer of 2014 was a live coding course. So this was not online. It was um, a coding course to students in the UK. And it was going to be a two-week summer course. And I did that. And it, and it went fairly well. Um, but it was a lot of work to get students in. And I went around to local schools and did assemblies. And um, there was a lot of interest um, and a lot of sort of positive feedback. But, but I think we had six students in the end, which was nice. But it wasn't as many as I'd hoped for. And it just didn't seem to be working out as a business. But the person that I did it with, my partner at the time, was um, one day I, I went to their, their office and they had the Udemy website up on their computer. And teaching online is something that I'd thought about doing for quite a while, but uh, I'd, I'd never thought that I could bring students in. It's the, the marketing side that is, is more challenging, really. I, I thought I could create a great course, but then I just put it, put it up on my website and I, I wouldn't be able to, to get students in. So discovering Udemy really was the, the the breakthrough for me. And I did what, what a lot of people do when they discover Udemy. I, I had a look and see, saw what the most popular courses were. They tended to be web development courses. And then you do a quick summation of um, how many how many is this course sold and what does it sell for? You do a quick multiplication and you say, wow, that, that's a lot of money. I think if, if I could get any small fraction of that, I'd be I'd be very happy. Um, and the, the next stage was then to have a look at some of the most popular courses. And, and at the time, I have to say that they weren't particularly good. They they weren't particularly inspiring. They were quite dry. They didn't really focus on how to how to build websites and do things. They focused on um, the more kind of technical aspects of languages and, and, and how they work. So I thought I really had something different to offer here. Um, and that was where the the web developer course came about. So this was in February, I think, and I really went full on for this. I, I decided that if I was going to do anything, it was going to be an absolutely complete course. So I didn't just want to do a little dip my toe in the water, a little HTML course or something like that. I wanted to to make the course which everyone would want to buy if they uh, wanted to get into to web development. So I spent months and months, I think it was probably about four or five months altogether, um, putting that course together and recording the content. Um, one particular disaster I had about halfway through was um, a, a catastrophic Dropbox sync, which I was using Dropbox to back everything up. And somehow I managed to lose absolutely everything that I'd done up to that point, which was wow. about two months solid work. Um, which was pretty painful, um, but I, I just kept plodding on. I went straight back to the start, and I, I now do look back on that. It's probably a good thing. I think the the very first few videos that I recorded weren't particularly good, um, and by the time I'd recorded maybe 10 or 15 hours, I was a lot better and um, a lot smoother and um, generally um, more, more pleasant to listen to, and it was probably a good thing that that first 15 hours got uh, got deleted, but still it was it was a bit of a blow at the time. Um, so then, yeah, I put all that together and I combined it with, uh, offering the web hosting, which I thought was a, a really nice extra that, that no one else would be able to provide because most online instructors don't have web hosting businesses. And I also, uh, wrote a, a short book, uh, called how to earn $10,000 while learning to code. 
And this was to teach people the, the business side of, of coding. I thought that that wasn't particularly well taught in videos. I think videos are great for explaining um, coding and, and web development because you can literally watch the person uh, create something and then you can follow along. But things like uh, marketing and sales and more um, softer skills, I think, are better read and digested rather than watched or listened to. So I created that book to, to go alongside it. And I really was chucking everything I could imagine into this course. Um, and finally, we got to yeah, this June 2014. And I put it out there and I put it on for, for $200, which was about the same kind of price that, that similar courses were on for. And I thought, right, this is it, the moment of truth. Um, and as you said in your introduction, I got precisely one sale in that first 24 hours and the really depressing thing was after they bought it they actually requested a refund so oh, it wasn't man. actually a, a proper sale at all and um, it only lasted a few hours so um i panicked slightly but i didn't quite give up at this point um what i did was i actually made it free so the course was free for i think two weeks um and as soon as i made it free people just just um came in extremely quickly. I remember actually being in Sainsbury's, which is a, a supermarket here, and my phone just started dinging with um, people coming on. And, and, and that was really exciting. So we were getting maybe one sign up every minute. But those were, were not engaged students. They, they barely watched anything. It, was, it seemed to be just students that were getting something for free. I'm not quite sure um, what these students were doing, whether they were just hanging out on Udemy to, to find free courses. But they um, they definitely came in their numbers and a few of them watched some of the videos, but the vast majority just seemed to, to like having the course for free. But regardless of whether they actually involved themselves in the in the course, I now had 2000 or so students um, on my on my course page. So it looked suddenly it wasn't an empty course anymore. There were people in it. But what it didn't have was reviews. So I did what um, all poor men have to do that um, need to get reviews. And I phoned around um, and I just emailed my family, friends um, and just said, please, could you watch the first few videos and write, um, write a comment, write a quick review. Um, and finally, I got to around 20 reviews and, a, um, and as I say, 2,000 customers. And I thought, right, this is it. We have something that looks good here. Um, and the, so the final stage of the, the promotion was then to promote it to my web hosting customers. And this was one of the great things for me because there was real synergy between my web hosting customers and this course, because a lot of them were, were small business owners. Some of them were coders, but they didn't all have those sort of skills, but they were all working with a website every day. So it was actually a, a product that a lot of them were interested in. So I did a pretty simple promotion and um, we got really good sign up rates there. I, um, uh, I made around $15,000, I think, from, from that promotion, which was a lot more than I expected to get, really. I was looking for around three or $4,000 a month. I think that that's what I was really hoping for. So it was a great first month. And then that brought me to the attention of Udemy. And then the, the kind of the Udemy marketing um, machine started going into overdrive. And that, that's when things really started taking off. So I'm going to stop talking there because I realize I've been talking for a very long time um, and give you an opportunity to, <laughs> to ask me to, to clarify or, or I'll happily continue telling the story if you'd rather. Yeah, I do have a few questions. First of all, you, <laughs> you said you spent four or five months creating this course. Was that sort of part time, you know, a bit in the evenings and the weekends or were you like, like totally immersed? This became like your number one thing that you were doing on a week to week, on a day to day basis. It, it definitely felt like the latter of the two. I, when I look back to that time, when I remember it, it was just intense. I would just um, go into, I, I had an office and I would just go and sit in that office and record. Um, and and it was, it was quite an epic experience, really. It wasn't quite full time because I did still have this other stuff to do. I was still running the web hosting. So I'd have to stop every now and again and reply to web hosting queries and um, I spent a few days still on my freelance projects and, and everything else. But um, but definitely my memory of that time is just intense sitting there with my microphone and computer talking to myself and just creating endless content. And how much revenue did that first course go on to generate before you went and did sort of a revised, you know, a big update or anything like that? 
Yeah, I, I don't know the actual number. It's, it's a crazy number. It's over a million dollars, I think. Um, but I, I don't know the precise number, but I do know it's over, over a million dollars. Oh, actually, and that's, that's my revenue. So um, including the actual, the Udemy cut, uh, which is on average about 50%, it's probably something like 2 million. So you ended up generating $2 million of revenue on a course that you sold one copy in the first 24 hours and then the person asked for a refund. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? If I'd given up at that point, things would be very different now. And I think that's, th- this is kind of like such a nugget here that number one, we're, we sort of, especially in the software world, we're kind of told about, you know, go out and do your minimum viable product, ship quickly, mm-hmm. ship light. And you didn't really do that. You just, you, you were clearly intent on, if I'm going to do something, I want it to be the best that is available there on Udemy. And as a result, you had to put in a lot of, you know, sweat and time and, uh, to, to, to create this course, uh, mm. and, and losing the Dropbox things. I mean, that's the last thing you need, but <laughs> yeah, you know, and again, it would have been easy to give up at that point and just say, okay, maybe this isn't meant to be. And, mm. and I think it's just fascinating that somebody could, you know, you could have launched this course felt kind of completely demoralized and said, okay, I wasted my time for four or five months I can't even get one person to buy this thing. Um, I'm not a marketing person. I'm not really focused on how to uh, drive signups and sales and attract customers. And so it could have been really easy to give up. And there was a few things that, you know, you did in terms of you made it free. Why did you decide to make it free? Um, It was essentially a pretty pretty easy choice, I think. (laughs) No one was buying it at the price that it was. And so it was either make it free or cheaper. And I did think you go along to the page and, you know, you have my marketing video and um, all the great description of the course. I thought the course looked great. But at the very top of the page, there's zero students, zero reviews. And, and I just thought, would I buy a course with zero students and zero reviews, however good it looks? I probably wouldn't. Um, so, yeah, I had no idea how effective or how quickly students would come in at that zero price range. Um, but I thought if I can at least get it up to, um, say, a few hundred students, and then I can probably ask around to, to friends and family to get a few reviews in, then maybe I can start upping the price a bit. My plan was actually to go gradually up to maybe $20, $30, and then increase that price as, as we started to get more and more feedback. But I think without that social proof, particularly on a website like Udemy, where you're competing against a lot of very similar courses, it's very difficult to sell. So really, it was those those free students for me were that um, element of social proof. And then and then calling around friends and family and getting people to mm. start writing reviews, I think was also smart because sometimes it just takes, you know, one review for somebody yeah. who's gone through the course to say, okay, well, I'll I'll add mine there as well now. And yeah. so you, so yeah, I mean, it's, it sounded like you, you made, you know, a couple of smart moves. And then I think once the, you talked about the Udemy marketing machine kicking in, um, uh, what, what did that involve? Did they, it was just really about them getting more focused on, okay, this, this, it's comes onto their radar. They see the, the quality of the content and then they do things like what, like start promoting it on their homepage and their email updates, those kinds of things. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of promotion within Udemy itself. Yeah. So emails and, and putting it on the homepage. They also they also do a lot of pay, paid promotions. So there's they do a lot of AdWords, um, Facebook ads, YouTube ads. Um, I think they they've actually widened. The, the range of, of online advertising that they do since 2014. Um, but I think I, I, I generally speak very highly of Udemy. And I think that the thing that they are very, very good at is marketing good courses. So once they 
see that a course is is selling and they, they have a look at it and they make sure it's quality and that the reviews are good and everything, then they will just sort of put as much weight behind it as they can. And because they've got that scale and they've got, I think they had about 3 million students at the time, and I think it's maybe five or six now, could be more than that. Um, they, they have the scale to, to really bring students in when they've got something that's converting well and selling well. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos that's sasclub.io slash b-o-o-p-o-s sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with bupos.com i'm still curious about why you decided to build such a big course it it would have been I, i think many people would have said i could cover i could do a pretty decent course on html or i could teach people about CSS, but you kind of, no, that's not enough. I'm going to teach you how to build Mm -hmm. websites. I'm going to do HTML, CSS, some JavaScript. I'm going to teach you some PHP and probably about the database as well. And Mm. that's, that's a lot to do. And why, why did you decide to do that instead of just saying, okay, I'm going to focus on one topic like HTML and go really deep in that and, and do a great job with that? It's, it's a good question. And I don't entirely know the answer um, I, I, like you, pr- preach the same things now. It's, it's testing your market and doing a, a minimum viable product. And, and in this case, I just did the complete opposite. <laughs> I, I think um, one big part of it was naivety, that I simply underestimated how much effort a course like that would take. And I thought, I'm a teacher, you know, I know this stuff. It can't be that hard. Um, I want to make, I think it was 20, 22 hours. Doesn't sound that much. Maybe a couple of weeks and it'll be done and (laughs) there was this very naive sort of belief that it would get done in almost no time at all um that's my my general optimism um but there was also i I think there was some kind of zeal in me at this point and which i've never really had at at any other time but i kind of saw in my mind's eye as as soon as i came across these um courses on udemy that were kind of doing the kind of thing that that i thought was a good idea but not doing it very well the the kind of the whole web developer course just came into my mind in one go. And it felt like doing any small part of it just wouldn't encapsulate it. I wanted to do something that provided absolutely everything, or at least as much as I could possibly give to, um, to someone who wanted to get into web development. And the doing something like, a, as you say, an HTML course just felt like it wouldn't be a minimum viable product because it wouldn't be an example of this complete um, everything that you need. And so it it really was all or nothing, I think, at that point. And I didn't really think that hard about it. It wasn't like I I made a really rational decision. I just had this image in my head of this final final product, which I thought was going to be fantastic and and unlike anything else that was out there. And, um, you know, when you get this zeal in your heart, you just have to build that thing because anything else would hugely fall short. So I I guess it was a risk. And and there I still look back and, you know, it could well have been four or five months uh, completely wasted if, if nobody wanted it. Um, fortunately, a bit of bit of survivor's, what is it, survivor's bias or survivor's luck means that I'm here right now and it, and it didn't go that way. But it's definitely, definitely a risk and not one that I calculated by any means, just one that, that happened to turn out well, I guess. I, I was going to say, I think sometimes naivety is a good thing and it stops us from Absolutely. overthinking things. It reminds me of a story that I actually heard. You mentioned Jack Canfield earlier. It was a story I heard mm. from Jack Canfield. I don't know if you're familiar with this, about a guy called Cliff Young. This, yeah, no, I don't know. This was, Cliff Young was a an Australian potato farmer who at the, I think he was 61 years old, he ran the Sydney to Melbourne Ultra Marathon, which is about, uh, I don't know, like far, over 500 miles and he'd never run a race before. And I don't think, I think he even the way that I heard the story from Canfield was that, you know, he even turned up in his, you know, um, 
you know, farming boots and all of that stuff. He didn't, he wasn't even dressed for this, this race. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he kind of was like, you know, just kind of, kind of loping along at a very slow pace. He was behind everybody. Obviously this guy was 61 years old. And the thing was that he didn't really know about this race or how it's supposed to work. So by the end of the first day, when all the runners had ended, they'd stopped running and they were sleeping. Mm-hmm. Cliff kept running all night, <laughs> you know, cause he didn't know he was supposed to stop. And uh, eventually he ended up winning this race by 10 hours because of wow. that. And it's kind of just, it's just a great thing about, Hey, you know, it's just sometimes just not, just not knowing too much or, or, or just not overthinking sometimes is, is not a bad thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree completely. And, and it's breaking the rules, isn't it? Whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, quite often it works out badly, but sometimes breaking the rules does something new and something different and exciting. Um, and yeah, <laughs> just like that, it's, it's sometimes a, if you've got a real zeal in your heart about something and you, you really want to make that thing, forget the nonsense about minimum viable products and testing the market. Just build the thing and see what happens. Now, have all your courses been successes? Uh, not exactly, no. Well, I, it depends on how you would define success, I guess. But um, I'll, I'll tell you what happened after the web developer course because um, this is sort of where it gets interesting. So the web developer course um, was gaining quite a bit of momentum. And then that summer, uh, very fortuitously, Apple released a new programming language called Swift. And this was a, a really nice new language, easy to read, easy to write, and a lot easier to read and write than the previous language for making iPhone apps, which was Objective-C. Um, so Udemy actually contacted me and said, would I be interested in making a course on Swift for, for iPhone app development? And if that, if I did make that course, they would be really excited about it and they would market it and and it would be pretty big. And, um, you know, I'm still only two or three months into this at at this point. So this seems like a great opportunity. Um, but this was over the, the, the summer break, the summer holidays, uh, July and August 2014. And I, I promised my wife when I left teaching that I would always keep the summers free and I wouldn't work during the summers just like I didn't work as um, as a teacher. And um, so I went home with kind of my, my tail between my legs saying, look, there's this really good opportunity, but it does mean I'm going to have to work throughout the summer to put this course together. Um, unfortunately, we came to an understanding and, and I built the course. And that actually turned out to be more successful, uh, at least at the beginning, than the, the web developer course. So uh, the, a lot of these things, I think, really come down to timing. And the, the web developer course was um, kind of the first of its kind, but the, the iPhone app developer course was, was particularly good because Apple released this new language and no one knew this new language. So it was a really good, um, big course to, it was the first big course on, on Swift. So that was a great bit of opportunity. Um, but the next course after that, um, soon after that, Apple released the, uh, the Apple watch, um, which at the time, you know, people were a bit unsure of, but I was quite excited about it. I thought this was going to be a big new market. So my next course after that was, was the Apple watch developer course, which it, it sold. Okay. It was, it was by no means a waste of time, but it was, it was far less popular than both the web course and the, the iPhone app course. Um, and I, and I think as remains the case right now, um, Apple watches is, is not as hot a platform as, as definitely as the iPhone and people are just not as interested in making apps for it, presumably because the scale isn't there. So, um, that course was, was a bit of a disappointment. Um, and I haven't actually gone on to make any updates to that one. It's still there, I think, but it's a few years old now. So, um, it's, it's pretty out of date. Um, but other than that, I then went on to build the Android developer course, which, again, hasn't quite achieved the scale of the iOS course or the uh, web developer course. But it's, it's been pretty big, and I've updated that a couple of times as well. Uh, so, yeah, really the Apple Watch, I think, is the, the only one that, that really hasn't sold as much as I'd hoped. And I think that's just a matter of that people, people aren't as interested in that platform as, as the others. Had you done any iOS development before you started putting putting together the 
Swift course. I, I, I have that course, by the way. I think it's great, but yeah. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> thank, thank you. Um, the, the, the honest answer is no. Well, very little, very little. I'd opened Xcode a few times before, primarily to build. I built a couple of apps um, using PhoneGap, it was at the time, uh, Cordova now, um, which is a way of building iPhone apps using HTML and JavaScript. And so I'd, I'd worked on iPhone apps a little bit, primarily through that, but I'd obviously never used Swift before because it's a brand new language and I'd never done any proper iPhone app development. So it, it was a crazy summer, actually, that one. I was absolutely figuring it out as I, as I went along. Um, fortunately, as a, as a teacher, I'd done this a few times before, really, when you have to teach a new uh, bit of maths that you've never really studied before. Um, my way of doing it was always just be one lesson or two ahead of the of the students um, and literally I, I only plan that one lesson you teach that and then you plan the next one and you teach that so what happens as you're you're kind of putting together the course and you're going one step at a time what happens when you learn something about say swift further down the road and you go oh i wish i had known that information when i did the first module and what do you do in those cases yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, on some cases, I definitely did go back and then edit that video. If I believe that I've done something actually wrong, um, that that's a really bad way of doing something, I will go back and change it. But most of the time, the, the way that I work is very much I focus on being able to do something. So it's not like I'm analyzing the language and working out the best way to um, to, to do a loop or um, work with variables or whatever it is. It's very much doing something practical. So if I want to show them how to put a, an image on the screen or to play a sound or store some data permanently, whatever it is, I'll focus on how to do that. Um, and I'll then just, if I don't know how to do it, I'll, I'll Google it, work it out, um, put it together so it makes sense in, in, my, in my mind and then go through that process. And as long as I've got something that actually works and does the thing that I want it to do uh, at the end of the day, then I'm pretty happy with that. I'm not super focused on getting everything exactly as an expert coder would do it. And in fact, in many ways, that can be a disadvantage doing it the expert coder way, because um, although that might be good for, for, for memory or speed or, or whatever it is, um, it's often not the best way for a, a learner to learn because they don't know um, all the details of how to make a, a super efficient um, or a super scalable um, application. They just want to know the basics and a nice, simple way to do something. They can always learn the more complicated stuff or the better, more advanced ways later on. So that's been one of the features of my courses. And it, it is, I have to be fair, a, a criticism that some people say that the, I don't always teach the, the best way or the most efficient way. Um, but I think I generally teach the simplest way. And for, for people learning, I, I think that's the most important way to do it. And it turns out that if, you, if you're not an expert, then it's, it's the only way that you can really teach anyway. So that's a, a happy coincidence for me. Yeah, I, I, have, I have a personal experience with that, that oh, uh, I started, to, I mean, I, I've, I've dabbled both with Rails, um, you know, Ruby and Rails and with mm -hmm. Python and Django. And in both those cases, it was almost the, the whole kind of black box scaffolding and all of that stuff, all of these things that happen and you mm -hmm. don't really understand how they're happening made yeah. me made it really difficult for me to really learn. Um, and, and I know a lot of people talk about, well, you know, Rails is really easy. It, it is, but, <laughs> but when things go wrong, do you know enough about it to be able to go in and fix it, right? Yeah. And so because I was kind of more comfortable with Python, uh, I ended up using uh, Flask as a framework. And I don't know if you're, you're familiar with that, but... I've used it a little, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's so lightweight. Like, you know, you literally are starting with a couple of um, files and you're kind of adding on what you need. And it for me, it was so beautiful in its simplicity because you, you, you're kind of constructing every piece of the puzzle as you go along. And so when you hit problems, it's much easier to deal with them. Um, yeah. So I've kind of, I've kind of stuck with that approach, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, now that I go back and I look at some of the things I've done, yeah, sure. I can go back and think about how to refactor the code and clean things yeah. up. And this code that I look at and now I just go, Oh my God, I'm, 
I, I'm, you know, I would never show this to anyone because it's so embarrassing, yeah. right? Because you, yeah. you've kind of evolved and you've become a better developer. So then you can go back and fix those things. But I, I don't think uh, if I had started out like learning Python and trying to do it in the kind of the kind of the Pythonic way of making everything, you know, writing 10 lines of code in one line would necessarily have been yeah. the best way for me to learn. So I completely understand that. And that kind of leads me on to the next question for you is, there are going to be people who listen to this interview and they're probably in a situation where they are either starting a software business or maybe they want to get into a, a career as a developer or whatever. But most people here are going to be about starting a, a business and maybe they have a decision to make. They've got to either think about, okay, I'm not a technical person. Do I invest the time and learn to code so at least I can get started and build the prototype or my minimum viable product and kind of go out and validate that. Or maybe some people just want to learn to code so they can work with a developer and not feel like they're completely out of their depth and have no idea what that person is doing or what, what they're telling them. So mm-hmm. in your experience, can anyone learn to code? <laughs> well, of course, the answer is yes. <laughs> I, I couldn't say anything, but yes. In the same way that as a math teacher, I would say that everyone can learn math. So, of course, there are some people that are that are perhaps more naturally inclined towards it. There are definitely some people that enjoy it more than others. Um, but I think it is something that everyone, you know, just as everyone can can do basic maths, everyone can do basic coding. That the question is really whether that's something that that everyone would want to do and would benefit from. Um, and I, I think for the vast, vast majority of people, especially people listening who want to start their own business, at least trying out, um, say, say one of my courses or um, just going online and, and searching for, for how to build a simple website and seeing how it goes, I think is, is hugely important. It might turn out that it's not so much that, that you're awful at it and that you, or you don't understand it, but it's, it's just you don't enjoy it. And it's not the way that your mind works. And perhaps you're more creative and you're, you're better at work it, work on product development or marketing or something else and finding a, a technical co-founder to do the techie stuff. But as, as a single co-founder, I, I find obviously coding is, is very much at the center of my business. But before it became the thing that I taught, it was really just the thing that allowed me to build things to then sell and market and grow. And, and having those coding skills is just allows you to do so much more on your own without having to get someone in to build everything that you need. So I think there's that that very basic starting point that just a, a few simple skills can can get you a really long way and 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 take you a long way on your own without having to get someone to help you. But the other side of it is if you do have those simple skills, even if again you realize it's not something you want to take any any further and not something that you want to go on and build. Um, your own apps and websites. But at least if you have that understanding of how it fits together, there, there's so much more that you can do. So when you're um, hiring a developer to, to build your app, you're not going to get absolutely fleeced and, and charged a huge amount for a very simple app because you know the, the, the constraints and you know what you're asking and you know what it's going to take to build it. So I think that the very simple level skill um, and just trying out coding is something that I, I really do think that everyone should try it, um, especially people that want to build their own businesses. It might not turn out to be for you, but it's very unlikely that it won't help you out um, at some point later in in your career or while building your business. Yeah, I think I, I really like your uh, complete web developer course, because if somebody is new to coding and they're thinking about a SaaS product, it's a great place to start because you kind of walk them through building different type of, you know, real world websites. Um, mm-hmm. And they kind of get an understanding of HTML, CSS, JavaScript, some PHP, Python, MySQL. These are all like important building blocks that I think everybody should have at least a basic understanding of and, um, you know, know how, how they kind of work together. And then I think beyond that, I think the best piece of advice that I ever got from anybody was um, when you start thinking about, um, you know, sort of the back end, uh, let's just call it that programming, whether it's, you know, PHP or Python or, or uh, Ruby, 
um, try try them all out a little bit, get a feel of them because mm. there's no right answer on what you should be using. And you may find that one particular programming language just works better for you. You just grok better with it. Um, and you'll never find that out on, unless you, you, you try it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like things, like languages where I can get things up and running as quickly as possible. So as much as it's unfashionable these days, I love a bit of PHP, uh, a bit of <laughs> JavaScript, a bit of HTML. But that, that works with me. Whereas Ruby, I, as, as you mentioned earlier, I, I find really frustrating. If something goes wrong, it's, it can be really hard to work out which bit of the, the program is, is causing the problem. Um, but yeah, horses for courses, you've got to try it out before you know um, whether any of it works for you. And if some of it does, which bit? And, uh, you know, ironically for me, having spent many years working at Microsoft, you know, I thought I'd be going down mm-hmm. sort of the .NET path or something like that. Yeah. And, and actually I found that, you know, Python worked a lot better for me. So that's why I kind of stuck with. Okay, Fantastic. great. It's been a, a great conversation and I know we're running out of time. So I want to move on to the lightning round. I'm just going to ask you seven questions. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. You ready? Okay. Go. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Ah, uh, this is the um, the Paul Graham quotes: uh, "Make something people want," and it's it's just something that's so simple. But in in my life, I think I've done that twice. I've done it once with eco web hosting and once with the the courses, and. I've, I've done it a bunch, or I failed to do it a bunch of other times, at least 10 or 12 businesses that I've, I've built that went nowhere. And just this feeling, when you, when you have made something that people want and, and people are just coming to you and they're just buying your thing without you having to go out there and really sell it to them is an amazing feeling. And um, we spend a lot of our time, I think, trying to sell stuff that people don't really want. So really making that really great product and making something people really want is the, the secret to business. Yeah, that's great advice. And I would just add, you, you need to go through the, 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 the process of failing to figure out what yeah. it is. And if you just wait for the, the until you're, you're 100% sure that you have the right thing, then you might be waiting a long time. And it kind of goes back to what you said earlier at the start about doing something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, creates a little bit of fear. That's yeah. good. Uh, what, book, what book would you recommend to our audience and why? It's, it's a fairly cheesy choice again, but it is my favorite. It's uh, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I've read it maybe four or five times now. And the bit that I really love about it, that there's a lot about how to outsource um, a lot of the stuff you do and overcoming fear and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm actually not that keen on those bits, but the bits that I love are the bits at the beginning where he talks about working out why you want to do this. Do, why do you want to, to earn a lot of money or to build a big business? Well, what is the actual end goal for you? Um, and that was so important for me. And it was something that I'd never really thought about. It was just, well, let's build a business and see what happens. But actually thinking about those end goals means that you know what you're going for. And so when you get there, you know what to do rather than just to kind of get there and, all right, I've, I've got a million dollars. What do I do now? I guess <laughs> I get another million dollars and, and just keep on going. And stopping to think about what your real life goals are is is something I think everyone should do. And this book is the, for, for me, it's been the best way to do that. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Persistence. That's that's the big thing that, that comes back to me. It's the people that have been successful. Yeah, there's, a, there's occasionally the people that get lucky and the people that have got flair or whatever. But the vast majority of people that are, are successful just keep on going and keep on at it. And it's like, you know, that moment where, where I got no sales or that one sale and the refund uh, stopping there means that, that I wouldn't be where I am right now. And it's the, the people that just keep plugging on, keep trying new things and um, they don't give up. They're the ones that more often than not make it at the end. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I'm a big morning person and I love uh, Miracle Mornings by Hal Elrod. I think it's said, I don't know how it's said, but um, it's a very short, very quick book. And uh, he guides you through uh, setting up a, a, a morning routine of six things. Uh, I'm not going to remember what they all are now, but there's meditation, there's exercise, there's reading, there's writing um there's visualization i think and one more i can't remember what it is um but it, I, I find if i do that if i spend an hour 
uh, doing all those things first thing in the morning, then I just feel like Superman and I'm, I'm really ready to go for the day. Um, if, however, I've had a late night or a bad night's sleep and I'm just up and, you know, going straight away, it's a, it's a very different experience. So for me, Miracle Mornings has been a, um, by far the biggest uh, productivity bonus that, that I've experienced. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Uh, the thing that's been going in the back of my mind uh, for a long time now is, is an 100% online school. So um, a school that, that teaches everything that students need to know, you know, mathematics, English, and has video lessons from the absolute best teachers in the world, um, automatically marked uh, assignments, and just the best school experience you could get but absolutely scalable and online and ideally free and accessible to, to, to everyone. That, that would be my, my dream creation. You know, I've been thinking about something like that for quite some time as well. Um, not from a, from a business perspective, but from a, uh, from a parent perspective, if there was a different way yeah. to educate kids that, that maybe we should be thinking about. Maybe that might be in a conversation for a, for a future topic, I guess. I'd love that. Uh, what's uh, an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? <laughs> I always hate this question, but I, I'll give my most sort of vulnerable answer, which is I hate my nose. I've got a, I've got a particularly <laughs> large nose, and um, I, I really didn't want to put my face anywhere on the courses. And it, actually, if you look at the original version of the Complete Web Developer course, my face doesn't feature anywhere. The, even in the promotional video, it's a cartoon version of me that, that comes up. But later on, I, um, I, I did put my, my face in it, now, but I could only um, get myself to do it if I'm absolutely straight onto the camera. So you're, whenever you see me on video, I'm always straight on. And that's because you can't see quite how big my nose is. <laughs> And and finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, there's there's lots to choose from, really. I, I play guitar, um, I sing, um, I play a lot of football. But but the big one I think that I really need in my life is travel. And um, this is something that I've done a lot less recently. I've got two two boys now. One's one's two and one's six. So there's not the same opportunities to get away as there used to be. But I, I try and travel, and I find that if I haven't been anywhere. Um, out of out of Britain for for six months or so, I start to get a bit itchy, and I think traveling for me is really something that that clears the mind out and enables you to forget about uh, obsessing over conversion rates and sales targets, and, and you realize that there's there's a lot more to life than just building businesses, and, and travel is the the one thing that reminds me of that. That's awesome, Rob. I want I want to thank you for joining me and for sharing your your story and insights. It's been a, a great conversation. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Would love to get you back on the show sometime and and continue the conversation. Uh, now, if people want to check out your courses, they can go to udemy.com and uh, just search for, for you, Rob Percival. Uh, what I'll do is in, in the show notes, I'll include a link to uh, maybe your instructor page. Does that list all the courses? In one yeah, place. Yeah, that's probably the best place. Yeah. If so, you like, I could um, I could create some coupons for you. Um, we we do seventy five percent off coupons quite often. So if you wanted, um, you know, a specific coupon for the um, for the podcast for say the web developer, iOS developer, and the the Android developer course, that would be fine. Oh, that or would I be awesome. Just a single link. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll follow up with you after that, and then maybe we can offer that okay. to people if they're they're interested. Sure. I think I think people should definitely check out these courses and, and I'm not just saying that cause you're a guest on the show because I already own, I think at least a couple of your courses. So it's, oh, it's, it's, um, from personal experience that I'm, I'm recommending that. So, uh, and if they want to find out about, uh, eco web hosting, they can go to ecowebhosting.co.uk. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, Twitter's probably best. I'm tech ed Rob on Twitter. Okay, great. We'll include a link to that as well. Rob, thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure and I wish you all the best.
Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? Jotform Tables is a solution you've been looking for. Jotform Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and Jotform Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your Jotform forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But Jotform Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million-dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.